welcome back to the Y Hawks Periodical Podcast, where, um, remember the last time we had David Bork on the show? Um, I hope you don't, because if you go back and listen to that podcast, you are going to recognize something a little bit frightening. We were really, 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 really wrong about pretty much everything. So, David, we have to rectify that. Yes, well, fixing our past, uh, our past wrongs is a big part of uh, being a hockey journalist, isn't it? Well, I guess in our case, it's just like, we're just not good at predictions. I mean, I should be. I won my playoff pool this year, but apparently I'm terrible at predictions too. No, you got to take, take the wins. You got to live with the wins and you just got to let the, you know, nobody bats a thousand. No, well, I mean, when you're us, we have to be, we have to do a little bit better than um, recording podcasts and then about five days later, throwing it all in the garbage because it turned out everything <laughs> you said was wrong. Well, I don't I mean, think we were the only ones in this instance. I think what ended up shaking out uh, over a week uh, at the end of July, uh, I think caught pretty much everybody, including the people who were involved, completely by surprise. This is true, and it certainly caught us by surprise because we posted a podcast that was like an hour and a half, two hours long the day that it happened. And then we threw it in the garbage. I've already told stories about what happens when you do. What do we call that? That, that phenomenon where you record a podcast breaking news 12 hours later it's worthless hey man the longer you're in this business it's gonna happen more and more it's just kind of like part of it you just keep your head down and chug away but oh i've already had that happen multiple times and on a much grander scale than than <laughs> this trade but i always find it amusing that it happens and uh yeah. well, it comes after all this hard work but anyway while the rest of hockey journalism is at a cottage somewhere we're here working for you it's great uh before we begin here briefly Congrats to Jameson and Adeline on getting married. Awesome. I would make a contract joke here, but I can't really do that considering what we're talking about today. So I don't, I don't think that would be a a good case. Let's just hope that we can get through their wedding weekend with no news happening, that they don't get called into work. Like go enjoy your wedding, go enjoy your honeymoon. They deserve it. They're amazing people. But let's just hope that the news can hold off for a few days. It's hockey. Although I guess in good news in the case that it's hockey in 2022, which means everybody goes away in the month of August, but also it's hockey in 2022. It means something will happen. So <laughs> for, for their sake, I hope it does not, but it's hockey in 2022. So it might, although the chances of it are less than it would be in other sports. But um, speaking of which, I guess it's good that we're doing this now because we have a much more clear picture of the whole thing uh, than we would have if we did this right after the, the show. But when we did our show last, again, we joke about how we didn't expect much to change. But now in the totality of this offseason, I don't think we've ever seen a team that won the President's Trophy and have a season like they did change quite as much as this one has. Some of it out of necessity, but some of it out of also, I mean, I joke that the Panthers history is all about, <clears throat> excuse me, overreacting to things that happen even after very good moments and that they can't really stay the course. I don't think that's necessarily true here, but it's you look at it in totality, it's a lot of change to come down all at once for a team that had a historically good season last year. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, as you said, some of it we knew was coming. We knew that the trade deadline guys, uh, there was a probably a pretty good chance that they weren't going to be coming back. Uh, there was hope that Claude Drew would come back, just like there was some hope that maybe they would re-sign Mason Marchment. Um, but yeah, we knew there was going to be some uh, some change with this team. What we didn't expect, what we've been kind of alluding to, uh, is the big change at the top of the roster, the top of the mountain. Uh, when you you don't often see uh, lead wide, uh, 
two of me, you know, maybe top 10, top 15 players. You don't see like top elite talent move like in trades like that. It's so rare when you see those big superstar blockbuster trades, especially guys that are in their twenties. Um, so this was, you know, it was astounding on a league level. It was pretty amazing on a personal or on a, you know, on our covering the team guys, you know, that are in close, um, everything that I had been learning up until that point, uh, all signs were pointing to an eventual, uh, and not very far off, uh, contract extension with Jonathan Huberto. That's where both sides, that was their goal. That was, uh, what both went into the off season looking to achieve. They got started as soon as they could in July. And, uh, they were kind of going down that path. Um, and you saw how quickly uh, Huberto ended up signing his deal in Calgary, which I think kind of just goes to show a, that they were really, you know, they were ready to sign a certain deal at a certain time. Uh, they didn't want to sit back and wait on this. Uh, Jonathan Huberto will be 30 years old next season uh, and signing an eight year deal. When you're that old, if you get a big offer, you're going to take it because you know, you never know what next year could bring. So I totally understand him jumping on that when he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, Look at what the Panthers were able to do. Uh, they're basically able to perhaps upgrade an elite level forward. You know, we'll see Kachuk still young. There's certainly the expectations are that he's going to continue to improve. Um, and and basically you're swapping out him for Huberto. Uh, there, there wasn't a whole lot of belief that Mackenzie Weider was going to be retained, uh, which personally I was okay with. I think Weider, he was a great player, great person. Um, but I think there were some holes in his game holes that got exposed quite a bit more when he wasn't skating with Aaron Ekblad. Um, so to make that deal, uh, they had to give up their futures, which they did, which was why, you know, they had to give up uh, a top tier player in Cole Schwint and a uh, first round draft pick. Uh, but yeah, just to, to kind of get back to what your original point was, Matt, it was, uh, it was nuts. I mean, what was it like? 11 p.m. on a Friday night when something that 11 p.m. on a Friday night in July. And this is why the NHL is not as popular as all the other sports in the United States, because nobody in any other league would think, yes, let's break one of the biggest trades in the history of our league in the last two decades at 11 p.m. on a Friday night in July. Well, I don't think there was a plan necessarily no, to break it's, it. It's I think that's just when it, I'd when always it happened. About how the NHL wants to be more popular and then something like this in every other league would be at like three o'clock in the afternoon or at a time when people are awake, you know, and in this case, it's a joke about the NHL, but that's, that's not yeah. it. Well, I mean, they could always just go the LeBron route and host like a primetime special, you know, taking you know my talents. About that? I mean, now that I'm thinking about, now that you mentioned it, I was thinking about that. I was in Spain that summer, so I didn't watch the decision live. I knew it was happening, but like it happened in the middle of the night. So I was <laughs> sleeping and then I woke up the next day to see what happened. So I missed all of it. Yeah, that's, that was that's, crazy. That's, it's, it was 12 years ago, but that's a funny That was story a lot of fun. I was working the, the radio beat. I was at W790. Uh, I was at 790 The Ticket. We ended up doing 24-hour coverage that night. Like, we we did it when the report happened, and obviously South Florida went nuts. So I think we ended up staying on the air till like, the morning show at 6 a.m., just talking about the heat and LeBron. And, you know, that's, that's South Florida, Matt. The, when winning trumps all. So when you get something like that, that, that's why the Heat have been as big as they've been forever, because they win and they do big things. So uh, hopefully the Panthers have been paying attention and they can start following that route. They're starting to win and they're starting to do it with superstar players. Let's you know keep that going for a few years and it'll be really interesting to see how the hierarchy may change in South Florida if the Panthers can continue to win the way they have. I saw somebody mention after the trade, like this is one of the biggest trades in the history of South Florida sports, let alone just Panthers. 
which is amazing in a market that has Pat Riley in it. So, I mean, it got people that don't normally follow hockey in South Florida to notice. And also brings up a thing in the athletic that I, that I wanted to comment on, on this piece about how the Panthers are, you know, quote unquote disrupting. And I said, the only thing you have to do is win. The rest of it doesn't matter. I don't like, congrats on doing some of the things you've done. It's, it's wonderful, but an annoying team that's bad is very, very annoying to everyone, including the people that cover it and watch it. So just be good if you're going to go pull that off and they're good right now. But anyway, well, that's well, I was going to say just on that point, Matt, like what have we heard so much about the last couple of years with the Panthers, how good of a room it is, how the work ethic, the culture, how they've really made into this really solid top to bottom roots on out hockey team. Right. So are they really trying to put that to the test and say, okay, we've got this tough as nails, great leadership group. So they can't handle a shakeup. That's going to ultimately they believe make the team better. Isn't that why they've been building the team the way they have so they can handle something like this. So, and I'm not, I'm not going against you. I'm saying what you were saying about this outside noise that the Panthers have done themselves a disservice or they're disrupting. Well, I don't think that this well, is a disservice. I'm just saying that in general, like what they're, what, what the, the point of that article was, I think to say, oh, they're trying to make themselves into you know, a factor in the marketplace, in the league by doing things a little bit differently and making noise in ways that they've never done before. And I said, the way that in general, you get noticed in South Florida, I don't live there, but I've spent enough time there to know, you just win. The rest of it doesn't matter. If you win, people will show up and care. Yep. If you don't, they have other things to do. That's all. 100%. And that's, and that's the factors that I think the rest of the things they do you know, some of the things that they've done, I enjoy it. But as I said, as long as they're winning, then the rest of that is not going to matter. If they're winning hundred point seasons every year, making the playoffs, people will show up. If they're the same bad team they were for decades, then no one will show up. That's how it works. Now right. I want to talk about the Uberto contract just in general, because there's been a lot of talk about it. And I don't know how different it would have been if it was in Florida, as opposed to in Calgary, they're different markets in different situations, but if you were going to go apples to apples and just look at the contract Huberto signed, I don't think there's any way that Bill Zito would have given that exact contract out. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Giving that much you know, money in terms of somebody who will be 30 is risky, even if Jonathan Huberto's game, I think, will age very well into his 30s. And also, I think in Florida's particular situation, Alexander Barkov makes 10 million AAB. And there really shouldn't be anybody that goes above that. Now, I don't know what that contract would have looked like if it was with the Panthers, but I can't necessarily blame Bill Zito for saying, you know what? I love Jonathan Huberto's game, but I also think that contract's a little risky. And, you know, we need as many cracks at this as we possibly can. And if I'm giving out something a little different to a player that's going to be know, five and a half years younger, I think I have a chance to open our winning window a little longer. And it also comes back to how Bill Zito's handed out contracts where he's given out only three that are longer than four years. Sam Bennett got four, Barkoff got eight, and Kachuk got eight. He's been very judicious with that sort of thing. And that's why I said when that trade was made, no matter how quickly it came about, it made me think they didn't really want to give Huberto the contract he thought he deserved and the contract he wanted. And in many ways, as good as he is, I completely understand that. Yeah. I mean, look, when Huberto was before this was a reality, before this was, you know, even a, a thought, you know, a week before the trade, five days before the trade, uh, Huberto was going to get a very comparable deal in South Florida that what he got in Calgary. Uh, I, I was pretty sure it was going to end up being more than what Barkov got. 
Um, Which I'm going to say for uh, this is no offense to Jonathan Huberto, who I've always loved as a player. I don't think anybody on the Florida Panthers should make more than Alexander Barkov. That's just to me, cut and dry factual. He's the best player. He is the, the center of this team and anybody making more would have to do more than him. And I don't think there is anybody really other than maybe five players in the league that can do more than him. This is just how I view it. But that's, and you, in that view, Matt, you're not necessarily wrong in that Barkov is very probably the best player on this team and the best player should be making the most money. But I, th- I think, and again, just my opinion here, because I don't know exactly what went into it, but I think Barkov signing for just, as I put up the air quotes, 10 million a year, he could have gotten more. And I think part of that, Barkov's a guy that really, he's loyal and he really wants to win. So maybe he didn't try, again, this is just my thought, but maybe he didn't try to eke as much as he possibly could from the Panthers in order for them to put that money invested into elsewhere in the roster and help be, make the team be a little bit better. I would not put that past Sasha Barkov at all. It was something I thought when he signed the deal last year, I was like, well, I probably could have gotten a little bit more than this. Um, and, and, you know, would not surprise me if that's what went into it because he wants to be here in South Florida and he wants to win. Um, uh, again, and I'm not saying that as, you know, to turn around and say, well, and Jonathan Huberto is more selfish, blah, blah, blah. Not at all. Um, I mean, we, you know, Jonathan Huberto is just as nice of a guy as Sasha Barkov. He's just a little bit more maybe outgoing uh, by a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I, I just, I had the, the feeling based on the season, based on, you know, the personality, the, you know, the all-star, the, everything that goes into it, that Huberto was looking for a deal that was comparable to the number that he wore on his back when he was in South Florida. So when I saw that he got signed for 10.5, uh, in Calgary, uh, on the AAV, it, it made a lot of sense considering it took him like what, less than a week to put that together. And sudden, you know, just like that, there was talk, well, maybe he'll go into the season and play it out. Maybe he'll try to go home to Montreal or, you know, keep a little bit of control for himself. No, when you're 29 going on 30 and you're trying to sign a year, that's probably going to take you to your retire. Uh, you milk every ounce out of it that you can, especially with Huberto. He had no real loyalties to Calgary compared to what he would potentially have had feelings wise for Florida. Uh, so the deal, you know, I thought it made perfect sense for him there. Um, but yeah, I do think uh, it's very comparable to what he would have got if, if that, if the trade never would have happened. And I think because you never see people follow Panthers on Twitter, agree on anything, but the general consensus was it's a good contract for him. Good for him. He got his bag. He's set for life. Kind of glad the Panthers didn't give that out. Like that never happens. And I think for me, you know, Huberto getting that amount of money and maybe paying more than Barkoff for eight years would, I don't think it would have handicapped their ability to win, but it would have made the building around them a little trickier, which is not as much the case with Kachuk, who you think conceivably has more room to grow into that deal where Huberto, you know what you're going to get from him at this point. And conceivably, conceivably, you've seen the best season he will have. And it's a pretty good season. So to me, I think the dynamics of that are, I don't want to say that they were tricky, but I, I think that Bill Zito somewhere in there said, you know what, I'll bet on the age curve, which is fair enough. And I, I think Huberto's game will age really well into his 30s, but I can completely understand why you don't want to give that out. And in the end, when I think he had to make that snap decision, I think he thought, yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I can go with this young player. And also, and I want to talk about this because this is a dynamic I don't think we've spoken about enough with this, is the last couple of years, the Panthers, of course, their depth is so much better than it's been. 
But one of the reasons why they went from mediocre to, you know, best team in the league in the regular season was because Barkoff, Huberto, and Ekblad got better every season. And at some point, Jonathan Huberto is going to physically not be able to be better as a hockey player, even though he's one of the top, you know, 25 great players in the league right now. And for Sasha Barkoff, he's, he's younger, but also playing with Matthew Kachuk is going to be a very different experience for him. And when we talk about this team, particularly this year, needing to be better in certain areas because they don't have the same level of depth, you're going to want to get more out of Sasha Barkoff. And I think Matthew Kachuk can bring something different out of him that we have not seen from him yet. And that, to me, is an important new dynamic for a team that, you know, in the playoffs needed something like that. And that's not just saying because Matthew Kachuk's a very different kind of player, but also I think somebody mentioned the Bergeron-Marchand dynamic. And that's something that we could see here. And to get Sasha Barkov to be even better makes the Panthers a better team. And I think that there had to be some level of thought as much as there was he's younger. This is also to annoy the Lightning. We can make Sasha Barkov better in different ways because he's never played with a player like this before who's at this level of skill and this kind of skill set. Yeah, it's going to be a unique dynamic for sure. And I mean, when you talk about Barkov, there's been so much attention that's gone into the Barkov-Huberto combination over the years. And, you know, rightly so, they're superstar players. But it's the only real superstar player that Barkov's ever played with, right? I mean, you know, if you want to talk about Yarmir Yager, you know, he was like, what, 50 years old when he was when he was here? And granted, he was amazing. And it was awesome. And it was great to see. And, you know, Yager helped kind of blossom Huberto and Barkov at the time. Um, but... To see Barkov next to a player like Kachuk will be interesting. You know, as you said, Huberto's obviously, we all know he's he's a playmaker. He's a pass first and a pass second and a pass third kind of guy. Uh, Kachuk's not at all. He's out of nose for the net, but he still is very much a distributor of the puck. He just doesn't pass up great opportunities the way that perhaps some other Panther players have over the years. Uh, the question, Matt, and we're, you know, we're not going to know this for another month or so, uh, how are they going to be deployed by this new head coach and Paul Maurice? Is he going to put Barkov and Kachuk together on a line and split up Barkov and Verhage as they've been together, you know, since Verhage's arrival almost, you know, exclusively with that left wing center combo? Or are they going to split the wealth a little bit more, put Kachuk on a second line with Sam Bennett or perhaps even an Anton Lundell centering, depending, you know, what happens in camp and how that shakes out? Uh, there are options there. Obviously, they're going to play together on the power play. You would. I would think, I'm going to say you, I would think that they're going to put Kachuk in a net front role just because he's got such amazing stick skills uh, and he's so good with his body. Uh, and also because Sam Reinhart was so good in the bumper role last year. Um, but either way, there's going to be a, a interesting options between the two of them. It's, it's certainly a different dynamic with Barkov and Kachuk than there ever would have been with Barkov and Huberto simply because Kachuk's an alpha. Kachuk is, you know, he's the badass on the ice. He's got no problem putting pucks on net. He's not, he's that guy that the Panthers have not had. And that I've said many times over the last few years, whether it's to the detriment of the team, I couldn't speak to, but that they did not have that guy, that alpha, that Ovechkin type knows for the net. That's going to fire one timers whenever they feel the need to. Uh, Kachuk is more of that type of player than they've ever had. Uh, maybe since in terms of that kind of alpha net front, knows for the net mentality, maybe since Ole Jokinen um, and Ole, you know, to his credit, never had the skills that like a Kachuk has or, or a Huberto has. Ole was just hardworking, amazing shot uh, and very skilled, but just not to these guys level. Uh, so 
it just makes you a little bit more excited when you think about Kachuk. Um, and it just go, you know, I always just go back to the same question, Matt is, are they going to play together five on five or is it going to be more of a special teams thing? I think they're going to have to play together five on five, at least to start. I mean, last year, the Panthers trick was that they never had to play the big guns together because they were so deep that it didn't matter. And when they ended up playing together at times, it never clicked in the way you would have thought that that thing would have clicked because they played together so often, but they really didn't most of last season because they didn't have to. But I think for that dynamic this year, and particularly because they aren't as deep and particularly because they don't have Anthony Duclair for half the year, maybe longer. I think that's something you're going to see. And also I think that's something that Paul Maurice, who is a details guy is going to look at as like, Hey, I could get a little more out of Sasha Barkov playing him with this guy rather than doing the same thing that they've done for the last couple of years. And I think that's what Paul Maurice's thing is. How do I get more out of a team that's already this good? And it comes to the playoffs particularly. And I've joked about that comment that, that uh, John Cooper made about blue collar players with, who could play with white collar guys and how the Panthers really did lack that last year. Well, Matthew Kachuk's the best example of that you're going to get. So the one, one hopes that that effect is going to be there. But the thing that we also need to talk about, and my co-host will not stop talking about it, and rightfully so, is now the defense, which was, I didn't want to say it was bad, but it had some issues. Now it has many more issues that need to be worked out, and they don't exactly have the cap space to do it. But I will start with Uyghur, and, and I bring up the point that the first negotiation with Uyghur and Zito in the fall of 2020, he nearly got traded. And the trade package wouldn't have been very good, but he nearly got traded. So it always felt like the fit here was tenuous. And then the trade rumors came up again and it was with Ottawa. And I was thinking, okay, well, the Panthers and the senators, you know, making a trade work would be difficult, but I thought that they were going to let him be like a quote unquote own rental. They were going to have him and then he would walk and that would be fine. And then in this case he was traded. Now, some of the rumors of what he was asking for would have been way out of what Florida could, could do, but Mackenzie Weger, for all of his faults, and he has faults, and I think sometimes we look too much on the fault, is one of the best puck-moving defensemen in the league, has a skill set that worked really well, and they are now not going to have that this year. So the defense core has issues, and to me the biggest issue, and we will talk about this quite a bit more as we get closer to the season, is I think the Panthers don't have a lot of defensemen with upside, with, with room to grow. I think we've seen the most of what you're going to get out of most of them. And to me, especially when you're talking about a back end that's going to have Mark Stahl and Michael Delzato on it, who are veterans on minimum contracts, you're going to get what you get out of them. This team still has to go for the Stanley Cup, even if they're taking a step back this year. With this defense core, you might be good enough to get in, but you're not anywhere near good enough to win series. So what is the plan there? Because the cap's also going to provide a bit of an impediment. and. I'm just wondering, because if they go into opening night with what they have, it's, it's concerning, and it will become a bigger concern as the season goes on. No, I, I wouldn't expect, I mean, look, we didn't expect any big moves last month either, and look what happened, so, you know, take that with a Are we willing salt, it into existence? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, look, I think, uh, you know, they're going into the season, you know, the top four is, you know, it's as solid as you're going to see with Ekblad, Montour, Forsling, and Gudis. Like, that's where they're going to be with that. Uh, how it shakes out, whether it's Montour or Forsling getting a look with Ekblad, uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, you would think, you know, that 
Montour played both sides, uh, but most both of them are the left side D anyway. Um, March Stahl, I think, you know, is a decent veteran addition uh, in, in terms of what they're going to be asking of him. I think you also have to keep in mind what Paul Maurice said is that they're not going to be trying to necessarily continue and improve on what they did last year in terms of the high scoring. They want to play a more responsible game. Uh, they want, you know, maybe a little bit more stay at home than we saw last year when it was just go, go, go constantly, whenever they got the puck, wherever it was, um, you know, you wonder, Lucas Carlson's a big question mark just because you've seen some decent flashes from him and he's still just 25 years old. Uh, how much are they going to rely on him? How much could they give him this year? And is he going to take a step forward? Cause that could be nice. If, if Carlson can, can, can continue to grow and build on what we've seen in flashes from him in the last couple of years, uh, he could be a nice bottom pairing to go along with Mark Stahl, uh, Michael Delzato. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, he's Michael Delzato. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's Michael Delzato and he's getting up there is. in years. These you are know. guys that are going to have to show up in camp and they're really going to have to show something. Uh, you know, whether any of the young guys, Matt Kirstead, obviously he's going to get a good look. Uh, you know, he's, what is he? He's, he's going to be 24. Or he's, he's 24 when the season starts. So he's entering that, that time where he can really, if he's going to become an NHL guy, if he's going to be uh, what a lot of people around the league were thinking he might develop into when uh, he was so highly sought after out of, uh, UND a couple of years ago. Um, so he'll get a look. You think like John Ludwig, maybe he'll get a look. Uh, but it's, you know, Max Dildon is another guy down there. I, I'm just kind of like racking my brain because they've really, they're limited by what they have in terms of the next guys coming up. Uh, you know, the NHL guys, Matt, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting in terms of the pairing, I think more than anything else, because you've got obviously Ekblad, who's elite. You can, and I think with Uyghur, Ekblad masked some of Uyghur's, uh, some of his deficiencies in his game that we saw that became a little bit more glaring during Ekblad's uh, two injury stints over the last two years. So I think, uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me really to see any, any combination. I'm just kind of looking at the names right now on my page here. Um, do you consider putting Montour and and Forsling together? Maybe. How good no, does Carlson look? I wouldn't I mean, want to do that because I know what I see from, this is, this is my argument for that is I know what the best of Brandon Montour looks like. I've already seen it. I know what the best of Brad Kogutis is. I've probably already seen that, you know, and Brandon Montour does Uyghur like things, but isn't quite as good. And I mean, maybe Ekblad can mask what Montour is, but Montour has the same sort of issues. Like he's always been a good defenseman in the way that Brandon Montour can be a good defenseman. And he's very good at his best when he's always in motion and constantly moving. And that was really good the last couple of years because the Panthers system was these guys are always moving, but if they're standing still, if they have to be a little bit more thoughtful in the defensive zone, they can be exploited. And that's where my concern comes in because not only are you going to be playing for perhaps a system that's a little bit more like that, but now you're taking a little bit away from somebody like Montour, who's, you know, whose skill set is not quite equipped to do those things. And therefore his flaws are going to become more, readily apparent and Radko Gudis is Radko Gudis you know what you're going to get out of him and to me that's the thing like where is the upside on this defense core I think Lucas Carlson's there but you're not getting it from the vets and maybe you get it from somebody like Kirstead but I haven't seen any evidence of it and so yeah, to me that's what we're going to wait and see for and that's and that's to me why I'm saying like this defense core is well I don't think it's a playoff prevent a a defense score that prevents them from getting to the playoffs, but it is one right now that would prevent them from winning in the playoffs. And I think what is, is fascinating a dynamic. Now I joked the last 
you know, season or two that the regular season actually still does matter for the Panthers in terms of winning because this team hasn't done winning in the regular season. They haven't had the numbers of playoff failures to which you now deem the regular season in terms of results irrelevant. Like you're not going to have a successful season if you finish with under plus points. You're not, they weren't Toronto where the regular season is all about making it to playoffs, but after that, it doesn't matter. We're almost there now. And the fan base is going to want series wins. And as I said, I think that this defense score is not good enough to win series. And the cap situation is, is tricky. And so, I mean, they will be under the cap on opening night, barely, but they will be. And then they will eventually have to bring back Anthony Duclair. And there aren't many players on this roster I think they want to move. So it's hard to obviously predict these things. But where do you think cap moves are going to come from? They can't move the dead money. And they're all, most of the players on this roster are ones that they would like to keep. So what do you think happens there? Because if they're going to improve at all, trade deadline, obviously, but down the line, like they're going to have to do something with the salary cap. And I don't know where that's coming from in a league where almost everybody's hitting the ceiling at this point. Yeah, no. And honestly, like, I wish I had an answer for you, but I've got the same question. Um, you know, to, to his credit, Bill Zito and his, and his group have done a great job of managing things to this point. And I would assume that they have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C already in place for what may or may not happen uh, when the time comes to bring uh, Anthony Duclair off long-term IR. Um, but yeah, it's, there's going to be some juggling that's made, whether they make a, some kind of a trade, whether Patrick Hornquist gets moved and that money gets pushed off the books or whether they have to send some guys down. Uh, there's not a ton of options, unfortunately. Many of those options are going to have to include another team uh, if they want to really clear off any decent money. And $3 million is not a little bit. Uh, especially for a team that, as you said, is going to be right up against the cap when the season starts, um, assuming that they're, they don't make any uh, more trades between now and then. Um, so it's going to be maybe the question as we get deeper into the season. I mean, we can only hope that that's what we're focusing on at that point, that the, uh, the on-ice product is you know humming along as it should be. But uh, one way or another, it's, it's a big potential impediment that could be coming midway through the season. Uh, and I'm curious to see how they manage it. Because I'm not sure that they would like to LTI Duclair for the entire season, unless this injury is worse than they've let on, which I don't see why they would do that. But like, that's the only other solution because you can't, because you can only trade Hornquist to a certain number of teams because they have cap space and that would cost you a fortune to do it. And they didn't want to clearly do it because we've heard about how expensive it was to move cap space uh, players for cap space. You don't want to obviously have Duclair out for the entire season. And then that means you're banking on making the playoffs, which is not a guarantee, even though I think they're still very well set up to do so. And I mean, the only other solution is he's injured and you LTI him. And I don't think they want to do that either because they, they value his impact. So it's, it is one. Of, and because now there are very few teams in the league that actually will have cap space come opening night. Almost, you're going to have, two-thirds of the league, maybe three-quarters of the league that's within two million of the ceiling. So that, that, makes, it, that makes it trickier. Uh, now, just overall, to me, what do you think the dynamic's going to be? Because there's, again, a lot of change coming down for a team that won the President's Trophy. And just overall, you don't see something like that happen in this league very often. So how do you think now that presumably the major moves are done, presumably, I'm hedging my bets at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Where do we stand when it comes to just the overall tenor of the team? You said there was a, obviously a tight dressing room. Everyone was pulling on the same, the same direction. 
pulling the same way. There's a lot of change now, new coach, fundamentally a different makeup. I just wonder how much of growing pain is just going to be because we've seen the last couple of years, they got off to red hot starts and that was it. Their playoffs weren't a question after that, but this, this season you can see a rocky start because there's a lot of change coming. Uh, how do you think they're going to manage that? Because, you know, you don't want to give anybody else behind you hope. I don't think that when you have this much change and you are clearly less deep than you were, you don't want to give anybody behind you any opening and the teams behind them are not doormats anymore. They are better. Even if I don't think they're playoff level good yet. So do you think that that's, I mean, you would think not, but do you think that that's going to be something we end up talking about a lot in early October, which is, well, it seems like they're having trouble gelling. There's a lot of work they have to do regarding that. And you, you don't want to give up that runway early in the season. Uh, I think based on what we've seen, uh, to this point, the way that this team has been built, I, I feel like this is a team that kind of thrives under those uh, building camaraderie situations as, as the years have gone, the years, the last two and a half years have gone by. Whenever they've added people to the room, it's only made them stronger and made them better. Uh, there's been turnover and they've done a pretty good job managing it to this point. Now, you've taken out two pretty big, substantial, longtime pieces that have been a part of that room for a while in Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger. Um, but I think what they've built to this point, like these are very, I mean, obviously they're professionals, but these guys that have been building this level of their career at this point, all on the same page, all in the same direction, all towards the same goal, you know, all the cliches all, you know, apply. Um, but yeah, I would be surprised, Matt, if when we get to the season, if those are the questions and those are the conversations that we're having about issues with the team gelling and issues with the team kind of coming together only because that's not been an issue at all. And this is a team that has exactly three players left from when Bill Zito took over three years ago. Uh, well, that's a good thing. Cause that team was garbage. And I mean, these, these facts, those teams were not very good. And no, so no, I'm not behind. It's not, not talking about thing. the roster. I'm just yeah. saying in terms of turnover and in terms of new players and in terms of building a brand new roster, uh, they've done all that and they've not had any issues in terms of coming together and building together and gelling. But you don't lose, you don't lose players like Huberto and, and Weger and all these other guys without having there be some level of impact. And that's, that's like, we've seen a lot of changes of, I don't want to say spare parts because that's not the right word, but the term, but changes where they were around the edges, not necessarily the big fundamental change, which is what we saw here. And again, there's also another new coach. That's the other thing that they change every single week, it seems like, which is the coach. I believe we are now up to nine coaches for Sasha Barkov since he came into the league, <laughs> either eight or nine. Like, that's, that's, that's also insane. Yeah, I, and look, just to, to kind of keep arguing, which is what we seem to do well, my friend, well, that's um, what we always have. That's what this is fun. That's what we're no, that's why I enjoy August. our chats. Um, but no, I mean, just thinking back to that roster, I mean, yeah, there weren't Huberto like players, but there've been some big players that have been removed from this team, whether it was like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mike Hoffman, uh, Vinci, Vinny Trocek, obviously, you know, was well, a big part cool. of the team for a while. Do we have to relitigate that trade again? I don't know. No, not at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying in terms of like the turnover, um, it, it's a curious thing to, to see, but I feel like the Panthers in, in the, in what they've built, they've come so far from, from that team, but from, you know, years before that, but from the bubble team and years before that they've come so far 
and they've done it together. And the only ones that have really kind of seen, seen the shit bear into what it is now, or the, you know, the only guys are, that are left and that's Barkov and Ekblad is even Bobrovsky. That bubble year was his first year. So it's really just Barkov and Ekblad now. Um, but I feel like the guys that have been here, even the guys that have been building at the last few years, like you put a few years of blood, sweat and tears into it as long enough to feel like you've got your roots into it. Uh, it seems like it was a pretty, all things considered, Matt, it seems like it's been a pretty clean break from Huberto and Uyghur. Uh I, I just don't expect there to be a big issue uh, player-wise, you know, camaraderie-wise. Uh, it's just a matter of is Paul Maurice going to figure out a way, and I, I think this might be, you know, kind of the, the bigger part of your question, is Maurice going to figure out a way to keep it humming, or are there going to be bumps in, in the road? I just think that there's too much talent and too much hard work and too few egos on this team to let it become an impediment on their season. Basically what I've been saying is, is Paul Maurice going to be able to prevent this from becoming another Winnipeg disaster? And I mean, as I said, Sasha Barkov will back check as opposed to the uh, star center on the Winnipeg Jets. So it's quite possible we'll get away with that. Uh, thanks again, David, for hopping on. Where can people find your work? They already read your work, but say it anyway. Yeah, no worries. You can find me on Twitter at David Dwork for all my uh, daily coverage of the Cats. You can find my written work on Local10.com, and you can download the Chirping the Cats podcast anywhere you find all your favorite podcasts. And we will definitely be watching, see where this heads up. Uh, it is August, so maybe not much going on. But you know what? The last time we did a show, look what happened. Look how wrong we <laughs> yeah, were. Right? All bets are off. All bet, yeah, all bets are off. Maybe the NHL is taking the time off, but hockey never does. There's always something in hockey to talk about. And I'm glad we were talking about this and not the other thing that we have to talk about in hockey, which drives <laughs> me insane. Anyway, thank you again, David. Appreciate you having, uh, coming on once again. All right, brother. Be well. <laughs>